scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, sustaining in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. I use that verse to let you know that this is why we're here. If we believe those two verses right there, then we know that Scripture is the foundation of everything that we do. And I never go into a pulpit lightly, whether it's one that I'm being called to be the possible senior pastor for, or if it's one that I'm filling in and preaching, this pulpit belongs to the Lord. And we will always honor him with the reading of his word. And the second reason I use that verse is I wanted you to know that the first, I wanted you to hear that the first words that came out of my mouth standing behind the Lord's pulpit was scripture. That's what I wanted you to hear, the first thing to come out of my mouth, because of how important scripture is. And if it's not important, we need to just pack our bags and get on out of here. Because this is why we believe what we believe. Because of how good God is. And so today I've been challenged to bring you a message that's going to hopefully open your hearts and minds to know that God loves you. He's got a great plan for your life. Sometimes things happen. So if you have your copy of God's Word, will you... Will you turn in it with me to Matthew chapter 14? We're going to be in verses 22 through 23, uh, through 33. This, this is an account of Jesus walking on the water, uh, of something that we've never really seen since then, have we? But as you're turning, we want to stand and honor God by the reading of his holy word, because that is important to give him honor and glory and reverence. And I'll be reading from the NIV version. The, uh, the copy in the pew rack behind you is on page 1129. How about that? Verse 22. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was great against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they cried out. And they cried out in fear. And Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I, do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me! And immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Father, may we never lose sight of that that the one who created everything is in control of all things. May we worship you for who you are. Speak to our hearts this morning, for it's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So let me give you a little bit of background. When we get to Matthew 
chapter 14, we see a couple different things going on here. The first is that Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, had just died. Now, we just got through the, East, the, the Christmas season, and we read the story of how when the angel came to Mary and told her she was going to have a son and came to Elizabeth and told Elizabeth she was going to have a son, John the Baptist, when Mary got to Elizabeth, John the Baptist leapt in her womb out of excitement. He recognized who Jesus is. And, and, uh, and beside that, Jesus and John the Baptist, they were cousins. And so John the Baptist had just died. Jesus' cousin had just died. And how did that transpire? Well, Herod's sister-in-law and, and lover, um, Herodias, wanted John the Baptist dead. And so uh, Herod's niece danced for Herod on his birthday. And he was so pleased at, at her dancing and for honoring him that he said that he would give her a gr- gift. You can have any gift that you want. And she said, I, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And so John the Baptist's disciples uh, had just buried him, and, and then they went on to tell Jesus what all had transpired, that his beloved cousin, who baptized him, who leapt in the womb when he first entered, was dead. And so Jesus is in a state of mourning. Like many of you have experienced trouble and loss in your lives, John the Baptist had just died, and Jesus was hurting in true pain and grief from the loss of a loved one. The next thing that we see is Jesus feeds the 5,000. And so John 6 um, says that uh, Jesus looked at Philip and he said, you go feed them. Like, Lord, we don't, we don't have enough to feed them. 200 denarii wouldn't buy enough for, for each person. And so Andrew said, there, there's a boy over there and he's got five loaves and two fish and um, maybe we can do something with that, but what is that to so many people? And Jesus performs the miracle where he feeds the multitude, and, and they had enough to fill 12 baskets. And so shortly after that, they, he, we pick up here in verse 22, Jesus sends his disciples away. He sends his disciples away without him because we, we have to kind of speculate here, but anybody who has ever dealt with loss in their life, grief, emotionally exhausted. And then Jesus had to continue to do ministry, had to continue to do things and minister to people, and so he was physically exhausted. So there's no doubt in our mind why Jesus probably sent the disciples away so he could go off by himself to pray. But every time I preach, I want you, I'm going to give you a big idea. And, And if you don't hear me say anything else during my sermon, and I hope you do, But if you don't hear me say anything else, this is what I want you to know. The big idea this morning I want you to walk away knowing is that I do not want you to be surprised when God shows up. Don't be surprised when God shows up. We're going to see this theme throughout the the scripture this morning. And so we're going to look at quickly four different actions that Jesus took throughout, throughout this passage here. Number one, Jesus prays for us. And so the people, when Jesus performed this miracle and fed the 5,000, they, they were wowed. And, and they wanted to make Jesus the king. We see this in John's account in John chapter 6, verse 15. John said, and they wanted to make him king. They, wanted to, they didn't realize, just like the disciples, that Jesus' role was not to come here and to conquer Rome 
So they were ready to make him king. And so he, he, dis, he quickly dismissed them, sent them on the way. The disciples, like I said, they also didn't understand what was going on here. You know, Jesus, they're, they're wanting to make you king, and we're like, we're like your right-hand men. So um, this could be our 15 minutes of fame right here. Anybody ever had 15 minutes of fame? We could probably go around here and, and everyone could tell of a story that they had 15 minutes of fame. Mine, mine came, um, I'm not going to listen to yours, you have to listen to mine. But uh, my 15 minutes of fame came when I was at Baylor University working at the women's softball. Um, their, their, my first year working with women's softball as their student manager was the first year they won the Big 12, they made an appearance in the Women's College World Series. And so I'm sitting in the dugout in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma on ESPN and uh, camera, cameras keep panning the dugout and everything. And I've got a friend texting me saying, hey, get close to the coach, they keep showing him. And so if you're watching ESPN, you're... <laughs> <laughs> watching that, but uh, but that that you know that's my 15 minutes of fame. But uh, did do, did any of you watch that? Probably not. Did any did any of you even care at this point? Probably not. But that was my 15 minutes of fame. It means a lot to me. But the the disciples they didn't understand. Jesus kept telling them that. I, this world is not my home. I'm I'm coming to establish a kingdom, and this kingdom is not of this world. But they didn't understand. They're like, hey. They want to make you king. We're your right-hand buddies. We'll, we'll make this happen. And Jesus told no, this, this, isn't, this isn't what it's all about. And so Jesus sends them away. He sends them ahead. Um, since the calling of the disciples, that we, when Jesus called the disciples, this is their first time without him. Without Emmanuel. Matthew 1.23, God is with us. Emmanuel, and, and Jesus sends them away without him. But while they're out there, the storm arises, and the boat and the waves are tossed back and forth. But this story, if we really think about it, this story is a perfect example of how we can have peace when storms in our lives arise, right? And so... Um, we see they're, they're out on the sea. The storms are tossing the boat left and right. And where is Jesus? Well, he's up on the mountainside praying, tending to himself. Or was he? The scripture isn't clear, actually, what Jesus was praying for. We, we do know that he was close, possibly close. There's a little speculation that he was close to what's called the mountain of communion of God, Mount the, where the transfiguration took place in, uh, in chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. We see the transfiguration that took place there. So we think he may, be, may have been close to there. So he was in communion with God praying. But what was Jesus praying about? We don't know exactly. We probably will never know exactly until we're in heaven what Jesus was praying about on that mountainside. But, but Mark's account does tell us that Jesus saw his disciples' plight. Mark said that Jesus saw his disciples' plight, their dilemma, their agony, their pain, their torment, their struggle. Jesus saw that from where he was. In the midst of the storm, Jesus saw their issue. And it was painful. And so when we, when we dig into Scripture, we see verses like Hebrews 4, 
chapter four, uh, chapter four, verses fourteen and fifteen, when it says, "Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a great high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who, in every respect, has been tempted in every way, yet is without sin." That's our great high priest. Praise the Lord, we don't have to go to a man here on earth to confess our sins to and ask for repentance and, and forgiveness and, and everything like that. We have a man who is sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven who is interceding for us and he is praying for us saying, Lord, help them, be with them. Father, make them succeed. Give them hope through this storm that they're facing. Let me ask you this question. If you knew, well, right through here, I, just, I learned this, right through these doors, right, that way, is the choir room. If Jesus was in there, if you knew that Jesus was in that choir room right now praying for you, how much hope would that give you right now to make it through the end of this day, to make it through the end of this week, to make it through the end of this storm? How much hope would that give you if you knew that Jesus was in the very next room praying for you? Boy, that would give me all kinds of hope. But Romans 8.34 lays it out simple. It says, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus, the one who died, more than that was raised and is the right hand of the Father and is indeed interceding for us right now. Jesus is in the next room praying for us right now. And that should give us the hope of all eternity, not just today, not just tomorrow, not just for the week, not just for the storm, but all eternity Jesus is praying for us. The second thing I want you to look at this morning is that Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up. Verses 25 through 27 show how Jesus came to them walking on the sea. Um, but one of the things that we often feel in, in dark times in our life is that Jesus is far away. When things seem to go awry, when, when loved ones pass away, when diagnoses are not what they're supposed to be, when, when people exit our life prematurely, sometimes we want to think, you know, Jesus, why are you so far away? We sometimes think, and, uh, and, I, and I've used this terminology in probably a sermon that y'all listen to, but uh, we feel sometimes that Jesus is inattentive, uncooperative, or even late. He's inattentive to our needs. He's not listening. He's uncooperative. If you just listen to my plea, Lord, you, you will know what, what I need. Or, in the case of Lazarus, what did the people at the tomb say? If you had just been here earlier, in their mind, Jesus was late. Even Paul, the Apostle Paul, felt burdened in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 1.8. Uh, we see where Paul felt burdened uh, beyond his strength that he wanted to lose hope in life itself. He says, the troubles were experienced in the province of, of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. And all throughout the Psalms, we see where David complained that God seemed far away and, and inattentive and unconcerned about his needs. But Isaiah 43, what a beautiful verse. What a beautiful chapter. Verse 2 says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, 
and through the rivers. They shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall, be, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you, I give men in your return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west, I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and the daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Wow, what peace that should give us today. And so we see in these verses that Jesus showed up to his disciples and he showed up to them in a form that's just very foreign to us and to them. He was walking on the water. And so when they, when they saw Jesus coming to them, walking on the water, they screamed out, it's a ghost. Why didn't they recognize Jesus? Why didn't they recognize Jesus walking on the water to them? Why don't we recognize Jesus in the darkest times? Because they weren't looking for him. Honestly, who would have been looking for Jesus out in the middle of the storm walking on the water? But let me tell you what, friends. No matter what's going on in your life, the highs, the lows, don't be surprised when Jesus shows up. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Don't be surprised when Jesus shows up. And the third thing we see this morning is that Jesus has the power, Jesus has the authority over everything. Over the water for himself. He was walking on the water. He had the authority over the water. Over the water for Peter's sake. Peter said, Lord, if it's you, Allow me to come out of the boat and walk on the water. And Jesus said, come on. Peter walked on the water. He had authority. He had the power over that. He had the power and authority over this storm. When he, when he got in the boat, the storm ended. Uh, the storm prior to that, when Jesus was asleep in the boat, um, the disciples were in there. And he woke up and he said, peace be still. And the storm ceased. He has the power and he has the authority over everything, and we must bow down and we must acknowledge that Jesus has that authority and that power in our life. The last words of Jesus before he left this earth, Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20, he starts off and he says, all authority under heaven and earth has been given to me. In other words, you better listen to what I'm about to say. Go and make disciples. Baptize them, teaching them all things that I have commanded you. And what was the last thing that he said there? I am with you always, even until the end of the age. So Jesus has power and authority over everything. And quickly, one thing I wanted you to, to, to look at here is kind of a little, bit, little bit of a tangent. We like to give Peter a bad rap, don't we? Yeah, Jesus had authority over the, over the waves and over the storm and allowed Peter to walk on the water as well. And we're like, oh, Peter took his eyes off of Jesus. Oh, Peter, you, you, you were sinking. You took your eyes off of Jesus. And we like to tell people, you take your eyes off of Jesus, you know, things are, gonna, are not going to be uh, peachy keen. 
And that is true. We need to keep our eyes and we need to keep our focus on Jesus. But sometimes our ridicule speaks louder than what the actual circumstance was. Because in my book, there were 11 other guys who didn't get out of that boat. And so let me tell you, God's calling you to do wonderful things to help build his kingdom. And you may get out of the boat and you may, you may have a failure a time or two. That's where the grace and the mercy and the Lord that the Lord gives us comes into play. We, we ask for forgiveness, we get back up, and we, we strive at it as again. But people who don't, get, who don't even get out of the boat, you can't even do anything. So my challenge to you is understand that Jesus has the authority and the power over everything, and he's going, his kingdom is going to prevail. We've read the end of the book, right? <laughs> We've read the end where it says Jesus wins, so it's going to happen with or without you, but he chooses for it to happen with you, so get out of the boat. Do something. Submit to his power and his authority. Number four that we're going to look at this morning, Jesus deserves our worship. And this isn't just a Sunday morning, 9 9 a.m. Sunday school, 10 10 a.m. thing. This this is a 24-7, 365 uh, life of worship. Jesus deserves our worship. The whole purpose of this storm, and maybe the storm that you're going through in your life and that you're facing today is to help you grow and to realize that God is in control and that he deserves our worship. That, that's why storms come up in our lives. And there, there are two types of storms, and I've heard this before. There are storms of correction. You know, you speed, you're probably going to get a speeding ticket. And you murder, you're going to jail. Maybe even get the death penalty. You lie and get caught, you're, you're going to suffer the consequences. Storms of correction are storms that bring us back into communion with God. Correction for what we have done wrong. But there are storms of perfection that happen. These are storms that sharpen us, that make us bigger, better, stronger followers of Christ. And so this is a storm of perfection that we're looking at this morning with the disciples, that Jesus probably sent them and was on the mountainside praying, Lord, give them the strength and the faith to keep on keeping on. Help them remember that I am in control and that you are on your throne. And that's his prayer for you day in and day out. Help them realize, help First Baptist Byram realize that I am on my throne and I've got great plans for them. I just need them to partner with me and get out of the boat. And so we, we see these different situations that have, that have come up in this storm. You know, Jesus walking on the water, them not recognizing him. Peter getting out of the water, sinking, but 11 other people didn't get out of the boat. Uh, and then at the end of the day, they realized, oh yeah, you are deserving of our worship. <laughs> 